everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about sensory-friendly classrooms. I know that this is something that a lot of us want to do, but we don't really know how to do it. So I brought on Sophie to help us kind of figure out what this means. I'll let her introduce herself now. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be on Nicole's podcast again. I'm Sophie from Where I Ought to Be. I teach in Texas, and I teach a self-contained classroom with students who are in kindergarten through fifth grade. And this is going to be year four in the exact same position. So I've had that same classroom now all four years. So I've kind of learned some things these past few years on how to make the most of a sensory friendly classroom. So to start off, when we say a sensory friendly classroom, what does that mean for someone who isn't really sure what we're talking about? I think the most important thing to consider is the fact that we teach students who access the world differently. So what might seem beautiful or cute or acceptable or comfortable to you might be completely different than one of our students. So we really have to take those factors into consideration and think about what is going to be comfortable, functional, and um, welcoming for them. We want to create those safe environments for them, not necessarily for us, even though cute classrooms are pretty to look at. Um, but we really have to keep in mind that these are kiddos who access the world differently. So it's our job to create that setting to where they can thrive in. And I know this was one that was really hard for me because it is hard, especially in the elementary school, when there are so many cute classrooms. So I remember my, I think it was my second year of teaching, I had done like a safari theme classroom. So it was leopard print and zebra print everywhere, bright orange, bright green, bright yellow. And after about a month, it was my occupational therapist who was like, I think the classroom is a little overwhelming. And I was like, I spent eight weeks in the summer designing this classroom, hand cutting things, creating things. I'm not taking it down. We fought for like a month. And then when I finally started to make the switches, she was right. My classroom was too overstimulating. So it's definitely hard when you want your classroom just to look like other classrooms. But if it's not helping your students, then it's not serving a function. And our classrooms need to be functional for the children that they're there for. So I love that you make that point. Totally. And I could see myself too. Like if that was my first year, I would have gotten so defensive and been like, no, this is how I run this ship and this is how it's going to be. <laughs> but I think the more you teach also, like the more flexible you, you become in other people's opinions and your OT like had such a great point. So yeah, sometimes it takes a while to come around, but yeah, in the beginning, it's hard to take like feedback like that, you know? And we kind of already answered this, but can you explain more why it's so important that the actual environment is set up for our students who have some of these sensory processing issues? Why is that such a big deal? I think it's because that the bottom line is that if you want learning to take place, they have to feel comfortable and safe. Those are like the two key points. And like, if you think about your house, what are things that make you feel comfortable and safe? You have to take all your students' considerations into mind and then create that in your own classroom for them. Because without that comfort and safety piece, learning isn't going to happen. Um, so it really has to be a priority to make them feel like they can access their environment to their fullest potential. Can you give us some tips on some things we can consider when looking at trying to make our classrooms more sensory friendly? Yes, so I have five things that I wanted to kind of cover today, and there's a lot more that I could probably talk about, but these are some of the main five that I look at first. 
And just kind of knowing my students in the past, um, another thing to consider is that all students are very different. So, you know, whatever I suggest today, like it could be very different from the way your students process their environments too. But one of the first things I always look at is lighting. So you kind of have to take in consideration, okay, do you have windows in your classroom? Because the natural light is a lot softer than the lights that we are given in the typical classroom. Those uh, classroom lights that we have are extremely harsh and they have flickering and a buzzing sound. And so I always try to soften that with uh, the light covers that you can just find on Amazon for a four pack and then also with lamps. So I, I am lucky to have three windows in my classroom. So when I turn off the lights, it's not that dark. We can all still see, we can turn on lamps for that softer lighting, but um, it's just something to consider um, as far as how you can change the lighting up a little bit. If I didn't have windows, I would probably do more lamps and um, I would still do the light covers for sure. So. I know sometimes we're given a small budget to work with. I think I bought like four light covers for somewhere around like $24. So it's pretty affordable, but that's something that I spent um, some of my classroom budget on was getting that lighting to be the most comfortable possible. And I even have students now who I had my first year who will request lights off or who will say, one light off because we've got like two switches. So um, they've gotten to the point where that's their comfort level. So it's important to know where they are with that. And then <laughs> there's also um, another thing to consider, which is sound. So if you just like take a little sample of one minute in your classroom and think about, actually write it down, write down all of the sounds that you hear. You can hear the air vent, you can hear footsteps, you can hear other kids' sounds or voices, you can hear um, just, there's so many sounds that are constantly coming into the environment, which can be really overwhelming. So um, a lot of the things that we try to do is promote just noise-canceling headphones. Sometimes you cannot control that volume in your classroom. It's just not going to be possible. So we always have a box of noise-canceling headphones. Um, I know not all students love noise-canceling headphones, but it's just an option that you can give. Um, and it's something that students can, can learn to also get used to, because at first it is pretty invasive having something that bulky on your head. Um, but I've had, in my experience, I've had some kiddos who didn't like it at first, and then now they, they love their noise-canceling headphones. Um, I do want to say that this can go like both ways though. So you have to consider some students hate volume, but some students thrive off of having like a constant buzz. I previously had a student who was like that, um, and, and that student had a personal boom box in their workstation, and we just kept the volume really low, and they would have their radio playing all day, and it did not affect the other students. Now, if there were students who were affected by that constant buzz, um, you could also give that student like their own personal set of like Bluetooth headphones. And that's what our OT actually ended up doing. She brought um, like a personal Bluetooth headset for the students so that they could listen to their music um, while they go out through their day. And we had like a personal playlist for this kiddo and, and they really thrived having their music all day. So that's something that just worked for them. And it's something to consider too, because 
Um, like if one student likes noise, your other students might not like that and vice versa. So something to keep in mind for sure. I think that's totally typical because my husband has to listen to something while he's doing work from home. And we learned that when he was furloughed and so he was working and I always, um, we have offices next to each other in our house and my door's always open and I had to close it because I like quiet and he likes music. And that was really hard for us to navigate when we both were working from the home. But it's a lot more typical and it makes sense that like a child could have that, need that same thing that an adult would need. So I like that you point out that that is normal to play music in your classroom for kids if they need it. Yes, for sure. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about is movement. So this would be like the third thing that I consider of like the five big ones for me. Um, it's like, what kind of movement are you offering in your classroom? So kind of like take a self inventory of not only small things like fidgets, because although fidgets can be great, there's different ways that your students need to move in order to feel regulated. So you have to think about things that are going to promote, um, you know, spinning, rocking, um, dancing, whatever kind of movements your kiddos enjoy and whatever that they use to self-regulate. Those are the movements that we want to promote in our classroom. So for me, I've always had um, like a small corner of my room and we call it break space. And that's where we have all sorts of uh, different objects that just promote that like vestibular motion. Um, there's our mini trampoline, we have yoga balls, sit and spin, um, body socks, things like that. So we try to have those things displayed so that the students can kind of self-explore and um, sometimes even students don't know what they need yet, but if you have it there available, they can pick it up, explore it, and find out that they really like that thing. So the most popular ones for us are definitely going to be um, yoga balls and the trampoline. Like we couldn't live without those in our classroom. And then also um, when it comes to smaller things that promote movement like fidgets, you just have to keep in mind that you want to offer a variety. So you have to think of all the ways that fidgets can move. So like the ones that spin, light up, shake, vibrate, make sounds. Um, there's so many out there now. I've seen those really trendy ones these days that uh, like pop. Have you seen those, Nicole? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I haven't tried those yet, but it's like, um, I wish I could show you a visual, but can't do that through a podcast, but it's like a shape and then you can like pop different, the circles. So it looks extremely soothing and I, I want to try one of those, but there's just so many out there to consider and so many out there that we want to make sure, you know, we're offering that variety to make sure we're meeting all the needs of our kiddos. Mm -hmm. And then um, another thing I wanted to talk about, um, this would be number four, is just the decor. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but in my classroom, I pretty much have black walls on purpose. Um, and whenever we turn off the lights, it kind of just makes the room a little bit darker. Um, and also, I think it's important to say that it's okay to have blank walls. Um, you don't have to fill every single space. I worried way too much about that my first year. I was like, oh no, I had an empty bulletin board and I never filled it. And I was so self-conscious of it because I just didn't have time as a first year teacher. But then I realized that it doesn't need to be filled. That would have been just another thing to add um, to the room that 
isn't necessarily going to be helpful um, or functional. So it's okay to have blank walls and it's okay to have plain walls. Um, and personally, the black walls like are very easy on the eyes. Um, you know, if you choose something that's like neon colors, it's just going to be, uh, it can be a lot, especially when you pair that with the lights that you're given in your classroom. So um, yeah, blank walls and plain walls are a-okay. <laughs> and then number five would be the last thing, not the last thing, but one of the other ones that I consider whenever I'm trying to create that sensory friendly environment, and that is the seating that you offer. So I know we all hear about flexible seating like all the time, but um, I just try to make sure that I have different options in my room. So kind of to go back with like the movement thing, I have um, options that promote spinning. So you could do like an office chair. An office chair is, has been one of the most popular seats in my classroom for sure. The spinning is like huge. Um, I think it's also important to um, consider the fact that students need to move. Like my first year, I did not understand this at all. And I've grown so much in this, but students need to move. Um, that's part of the way that they access the world differently. So whatever works for you might be completely different for your kiddos, but that movement can be promoted, promoted through that flexible seating. So um, like I said, an office chair, that has been the most popular in my classroom. And then we also have chairs that rock. Um, chairs that wiggle. Uh, the yoga balls also are great for for bouncing to promote that bouncing and then also just standing too. Standing is another one to consider. Some students don't like to sit down and that's okay. Um, so those are definitely worth exploring. Um, so yeah, that, those are the five that I wanted to kind of touch on. Perfect. Thank you. And do you have any tips? Because I know some people are probably listening to this right now and they're like, yes, I want to do all of this. I want to get um, some sensory tools. I want to get flexible seating. I want to get light covers and I can't afford to do any of it. Do you have any tips on how you can make this accessible if you have a limited budget? Yes. So I know not all districts have this, but for me, we have um, in my district, there's uh what's it called it's called like a furniture warehouse so it's basically where like all the extra excess furniture from the district that is not being used gets sent so i didn't even know this existed until somebody told me about it so it's definitely worth checking first um if your district has something like that um, a lot of times there's just stuff that is not used that gets put into a warehouse and that kind of worked out for us that's where we've been able to find um some yoga balls which kind of felt like hitting the jackpot. And then um, also office chairs there. We found lots of office chairs there. Um, and let's see, I'm trying to think of what else we found there, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. The other thing is just to ask um, your families too. Um, I know not everyone feels comfortable with that, but if you have a good relationship with your parents, a lot of times they're willing to help out um, in any way. So I've had a lot of parents ask me, what do you need? What do you need? And I obviously will tell them, you know, it's not mandatory to donate to the classroom, but if you want to, here are some items that we are looking to, you know, help create the best sensory friendly environment. Um, another thing is you can reach out to your principal and ask if he or she can give you a small budget 
to help create that sensory friendly environment. So you can bring this up to them and, and tell them that they, your students need certain things that aren't already in a typical classroom and you want to help set them up for that. And I, I mean, if I told that to my principal, I think she would be very on board <laughs> because we all just want what's best for our kiddos. Um, and even something like $100 could get you a long, long way. Um, if you try stores like Five Below, the Target Dollar Spot, the Dollar Tree, there's so many um, fidgets and there's yoga balls at Five Below too that I've seen um, and just things that can, they might be small, but they can make a huge difference. So I would check those out for sure. I also really advocate, I loved trying to build relationships with staff members at my school that were not in special education. And then once I got that, then I was able to send an email and say, I'm trying to build up sensory tools. And some of them would have situations where their kids were now 10 and 13. So like, oh, I've had this stuff from their playroom in my basement. I don't know what to do with it. You can have it. So I got foam mats and then foam mats are a great thing that you can put on the floor and hot glue to the wall to make a corner of your classroom where it absorbs the sounds, it's a little bit quieter. And they just had it from when their kids were babies. So it's definitely worth making friends and then asking your friends for help. Yeah, I love that. That's true. We've gotten some staff donations. And yeah, a lot of people have children and they have unused stuff. I think I've even posted on Facebook too, looking for certain things, um, things like mini trampolines. And a lot of times people are willing to help out. So it's definitely worth asking.